0: Welcome to Just a Couple of Horrors. It's me, Brie, your horror provider, your horror carrier, (laughs) here again with you to bring the goods, okay? So today, we are going to be talking about, well, first of all, let me go ahead and just hit rewind. Hi, how are you? (laughs) How are you today? How's everything going in your life? Are you good? Mm-hmm. Really? Really? No way. Okay, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad it worked out. (laughs) I just wanted to check, make sure you guys are doing good, okay? Thank you for humoring. So, first and foremost, today is Sunday. I'm feeling good. Uh, I'm feeling relaxed. I'm recording from my mom's house because my mom is not home right now and i just needed a place that i can you know have some peace and quiet um and man oh man did i need it (laughs) um so yeah i'm feeling good today i'm drinking um flying embers hard kombucha the lemon flavor and i thought man this is a really good drink to feature today because apparently today is world kombucha day and it's such a nice day in california i sat outside for a little bit on the patio and just took the sun in and you know drank a little booch and relaxed my favorite thing about this drink is that it's very citrusy but it's not like pucker where it's sour it's light and it's um very lightly carbonated I've mentioned in the past that I have some gastric issues and sometimes drinking can literally be a pain like a literal pain, like it hurts, so um, I did some research, and I found that, you know, booch has some really good digestive properties, I found that it has, like, bacteria, probiotics, it's gluten-free, for those of you who can't, um, you know, do gluten, it also has zero carbs, and it has no added sugars, so I keep this kombucha handy in my fridge, ready to go, like, at any given, at any given time, <laughs> Um And honestly, I I wish this isn't an ad by all, you know, by any means or anything. But I wish Flying Embers, you know, if you're listening, please sponsor me. (laughs) If not, again, it's okay. I'll keep drinking your stuff. But honestly, anyone, whoever comes to my house, any of you guys who've been to my house, what's the first thing that I offer someone to drink? It's booch, okay? So Flying Embers, sponsor me, okay? I love you. I love your drinks. So, today's episode, as you probably read the title, is an episode about a conspiracy theory that turned out to be true. Now, I'm not big on conspiracy theories. Well, no, let me rephrase. When it comes to conspiracy theories, I'm very skeptical, unless it's about aliens. Uh, just kidding. But seriously, for me, um, for me to buy into a conspiracy theory, I need... Like cold hard facts, resources, real articles that aren't the onion or, you know, super right or left wing websites, YouTube videos that are clumped together using other people's videos. I need neutral factual information. And if you're going to come in here with some information that's too far on any side, I automatically think it's biased and there it's got an agenda. And, you know, I, I just check out, you know, <laughs> enter Flat Earth, you know, Pizzagate and QAnon. So with that being said, I started to think, well, how do conspiracy theories even start? Is there a smidge of truth to them? You know, how do they get traction and how do people take them to such weird places that turn them, you know, turn them to be so outlandish and just honestly just unbelievable. Like you, I literally can't believe some of the conspiracies that are out there because they just sound so ridiculous. So I began to do some research and I actually stumbled upon some conspiracy theories that turned out to be true so outlandish so crazy so insane but it turned out to be completely true, and these and the conspiracy theory that i'm going to cover today um has been you know uh declassified by the u s government. There are real cold, hard factual uh documents that were released and even you know has presidential involvement um after the you know after it happened so these this is one hundred percent real and factual information so Without further ado, grab a drink and hold on to your socks because here we go. The conspiracy theory we're going to talk about today is Project Sunshine. Now, doesn't that sound so benign? (laughs) Project Sunshine. It's like, you know, you get a little picnic and you go outside and you're skipping, skipping through, you know, some daisies. No, okay? That's not what this is about. So right after Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the U.S. government started to study the effects of nuclear fallout on the human body. Project Sunshine was a research project that um, pretty much aimed to find the, you know, the effects of nuclear fallout um nuclear impact on the human population and this was in this started in 1953 the project was secret for about three years and then it became publicly known in 1956 now the conspiracy was that the government the u.s government was stealing dead bodies to conduct this radioactive testing right so sunshine was put together by the united states atomic energy commission and the usaf project rand um uh, which is actually i i read the rand report it oh my gosh it's honestly like stranger you know stranger than fiction when you read this right but anyway So it was supposed to examine the long-term effects of radiation on the area and the ecosphere and they wanted to do this because of the repeated nuclear testings, you know, test runs that they were running. They were able to gather the information and determine that there was a radioactive isotope called SR90 that represented a very serious threat to humans you know from the nuclear fallout so sr-90 or strontium 90 is a radioactive isotope of strontium strontium that was produced by nuclear fission with a half-life of 28.8 years now Half-life is the time required for a quantity to reduce to half of its initial value, right? You're like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> but so pretty much it means how quickly unstable atoms undergo uh, radioactive decay or how long stable atoms survive, right? So this SR90 was bad news for for human life. And on I think probably for like any other life, to be completely honest with you guys, like animals and plants. But anyway... So, basically, Project Sunshine was here to measure the global dispersion of this radioactive isotope um s r ninety by measuring the concentration of it in the tissues and the bones of the dead of the dead you know affected by it dead people, dead animals, dead whatever, right, but predominantly this focused on dead people. Now, the best way to, to, to measure this uh, progression and concentration of the radiation or damage was to look at the tissue of the young, right? Young humans whose uh, developing bones had a, a higher inclination of accumulating this radioactive isotope, meaning they were more susceptible to the, this radiation damage. So, what do I mean by the young? Well, we're talking babies, and not just babies like fetuses okay the project got a really great deal of controversy when it was revealed that many of the remains or the dead bodies bodice- <laughs> or the dead bodies were of babies Um, And not just like babies, but fetuses or small children, you know, small corpses. These tissue samples were, were used and they were actually acquired. They were taken without permission, which wasn't known until like 40 years later. Now, here's the kicker. The truth was that, yes... The US government was taking part of these dead bodies because they needed this, quote, young tissue. Um, They recruited a worldwide network of agents to find recently deceased babies and children and fetuses um, and then take samples and sometimes even full limbs, each collected without permission, authority, notification, nothing to the parents of these. You know, babies, children, fetuses—nothing. They were the parents were never notified. There were more than fifteen hundred cadavers from half a dozen countries uh, that range from Europe to Australia, and all of these families, you know, grieving their their law their lost loved one, not knowing that they were being used for this type of research right like damn that i just that just kind of hits in a a totally just a deep deep way because uh, okay anyway in June of 1995, um, Presidential Advisory Committee of Human Radiation Experiments released the classified documents from the Atomic Energy Commission. I remember, again, these trials started in 1953, became public in 1956, and didn't get released out until 1995. So we're talking like 40, you know, 42 years from, from then to, to when it was released. And these reports uh, these documents showed that the scientists working on Project Sunshine were in full know of the ethical and moral and just like horrific circumstances that these that this research was being conducted. I also found information um, from a British documentary called Deadly Experiments, where a british mother um, she had a stillborn baby. She was not allowed to dress her child for, you know, the funeral. And you ask, why, Brianda? Why would they not let her dress her own baby? Well, it was so that she would not find that her child's legs were removed by the British um doctors, you know, back in the hospital. And I found that some bodies, you know, little cadavers, were also taken from cities where, you know, tracking wasn't the best. It was very relaxed. And they were in poverty, poverty poverty-stricken areas. And it's just like, damn, people who were conducting, who, not the conductors maybe, but the people who arranged the whole trial and were after this data, were really targeting areas or people who they thought, you know, one, this person doesn't have the economic means to maybe do anything about it. Or two, no one's going to miss, you know, no one's going to miss this, you know, child. I mean, they're already gone. What are their parents going to do? Like, you're talking about poverty-stricken areas. Was it like, a, were they targeting specific colors? Or was it just everyone because they were poor? Like, I think about that and it just, it, it's terrible. It just really... It's just horrific. Right. So in Chicago, scientists cremated 44 uh, newly deceased infants and then measured the amount of radiation uh, and the SR 90, you know, that they were trying to track. And um, once the information was declassified, the project was also referred to the Chicago Baby Project. Again, when the when the lid blew on this whole situation in 1990 early, some of it came out in 1994, but the majority of it was 1995. President Bill Clinton appointed a committee to investigate and uh, the tests that were conducted, you know, the ethics, the morals, all of that stuff. And also wanted to see if there was people that needed to be compensated for their, you know, for their pain and suffering. I found a quote through all of this research from a Don Peterson, who was a retired Los Alamos researcher. He was familiar with the test because he was, you know, part of the research. And he was quoted, this, this quote is just kind of gives you an insight as to the mindset of the individuals conducting the the study, right? The quote goes, There was probably no other way for science to obtain this kind of information at the time. The use of rats or other animals would not have obtained the same results. This was a case of children who were no longer beneficial to the population being able to provide information that was enormously important for the rest of the world's children, he said. And it's like, what? Like. Sir, do you have children? Like, have are you a parent? Have you ever been a parent? Like, what do you mean, children who were no longer beneficial to the population? Like, this is someone's freaking child. Like these, fetus, you know, whatever part of the of the development that you want to go after. Like, a person carried this child in their womb. This. So to say a child, children that were no longer beneficial to the population is like, holy moly, like this was the mindset that people had to get into to do this kind of study, right? So it's just crazy to me. Aside from the stillborn babies and the fetuses and and baby cadavers and limbs and, and all of that stuff, Sunshine Project researchers also studied the level of radioactive isotopes in cheese, uh, milk, animal bones, and other stuff that, you know, they thought would be good to re- to test on uh as a result of the the nuclear weapons testing that they were conducting. And they were doing these tests constantly. Um so to to gain more data. So in the end, the test results found that the residual effects of the fallout was not extensive in most humans. Like well, good to know right? Great. So there wasn't a lot of fallout. (laughs) Great. Now we know. Awesome. But to that I say, do the ends justify the means? Maybe yes. Maybe no, right? Like, I'm for science, 100%. And that's for you to decide. Personally, I think that they should have asked maybe offer the parents some money or the relatives of who were in charge you know as an incentive to let them participate in these in these tests I think no matter what any testing on baby humans baby animals baby anything is just honestly like horrific right but if the parents had been aware And agreed to be part of something bigger, a a scientific advancement that's going to help humanity, right? Who's going to help everyone, then I don't think it would have been so bad. It wouldn't have been so stigmatized. It wouldn't have hurt so bad. It's kind of like, you know, organ donors. Um, I have a firsthand experience when my stepfather died he died relatively young he was 38 years old just a few days before his 39th birthday and he wasn't registered as an organ donor and i remember you know trying to get everything together for his funeral and and all of that stuff and i remember getting a call from the hospital asking if we would like to donate you know his organs and that a lot of people would you know be able to benefit from the organs that he had. I think they specifically asked me for I think his corneas. But you know, at that point, like I at the moment, <laughs> at the moment, I was so pissed and I was so annoyed. Like, hello, my stepfather is, you know, dead. My life is falling apart. Like, how dare you call me and ask me this right now, right? But something kind of like I had like a moment of clarity where i was just like well what's he gonna do with them now right like what's he gonna do with his organs what's he gonna do with his corneas if it's gonna help someone else better their life i think my you know that he would have wanted that um so i said yes i said yeah that's fine take it you know take what you need um I was again I was annoyed, you know, I was like, you fucking assholes. (laughs) I'm grieving. (laughs) But at the end of the day, um, we were still able to have a funeral, we were still able to grieve and to have a wake and, and do all of that and help someone and you know with the potential of of helping someone out there. So I thought, why not? I guess I guess what I'm trying to say it's the principle of getting the permission, right? Getting permission and making sure that that everyone's on the same boat and you know what's going on with your loved one. Now, a few closing points that I wanted to make before uh Before I say goodbye, (laughs) is that out of the 1,500 samples that were gathered, only 500 were analyzed. Um, Another point was that the cadavers were from multiple countries. Uh, The babies or children bodies that were gathered um, were gathered from various hospitals and shipped, you know, to the United States so they could conduct the study. Now, another good point is that in 1958, research for Sunshine Project was brought to Belgium. Scientists pretty much started doing tests on soil in agricultural regions instead of, you know, human bodies and bones. Um the two main objectives for these tests were to take environmental surveys and experimental research on natural and controlled conditions of the soil. And, you know, the goal is to see the effect of SR-90 in the soil as well as to see how the transferred um, radiation would affect grass, uh, grazing animals like cows, sheep, the animals you know, uh, that humans consume milk and meat from. They were trying to see how it would affect our food, pretty much. Things that we consume and to see if there would be a transfer from the crops and animals. Um, researchers also looked for direct influences of sr 90 by observing how well the contaminated grass grew. It's kind of like a Peter Parker Spider-Man scenario because... You know, Peter was exposed to this radioactive spider, you know, and he got powers. So are we going to get like super grass? (laughs) Um, So after all of this, an article was written by the director of the Health Education in National Dairy Council in Chicago, Illinois. His name was Dr. Whitlock. And he discussed the impact of SR-90 in cow's milk consumed by humans. He found that the effects of SR-90 would not be detectably harmful to the humans who were consuming it. So... Dr. Whitlock was quoted saying from the foregoing information, it would seem that we have a long way to go before the presence of SR-90 in milk and other foods can catch up with the amounts of radioactivity to which we have been long exposed through natural resources. So all in all, the results were good. The information that said, you know, it, it was pretty much going to be okay if you're exposed to this isotope. So. You know, thank you to the babies, the fetuses, the animals, the plants um, who were able to give us the answers that we needed. Again, I don't agree with the approach. I don't approve of the approach. You know, all this shadiness and going behind people's back and the emotional um, abuse that was done. But we are wiser because of it so uh that's it for today guys i hope you guys enjoyed this week's topic i know that i was shocked and surprised that it was true um my resources are crimemuseum.org wikipedia businessinsider.com readers digest and rand.org i will be posting some pictures on the instagram page about project sunshine so if you guys want to check it out it's At Just a couple of horrors podcast. Also, if you have a story, you know, you want to share, um, I would love to hear it. I'm trying to gather stories, enough stories to make a listeners episode. Um, it doesn't have to be a horror story. It could be something weird that happened to you, something that happened to your parents or your friends or something that you thought was really, really scary. And it turned out to be something really silly and funny. Um, you can DM me or you can email me at justacoupleofhorrors at gmail.com. And I can compile them and try to get an episode together. Um, and yeah, okay, all right. Well, <laughs> I leave you guys today with this really cool quote that I found by Edgar Allan Poe. And it goes like this. Words have no power to impress the mind without the exquisite horror of their reality. So thank you guys for listening. And until next time, I will see you later. (laughs) Bye.